Chapter Thirty of Aurora Floyd. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Susan Frum. Aurora Floyd by Mary Elizabeth Braddon. Chapter Thirty an unexpected visitor aurora found a civil railway official at the doncaster station who was ready to take a ticket for her and find her a comfortable seat in an empty carriage but before the train started a couple of sturdy farmers took their seats upon the spring cushions opposite mrs mellish they were wealthy gentlemen who farmed their own land and travelled express but they brought a powerful odour of the stable-yard into the carriage and they talked with that honest northern twang which always has a friendly sound to the writer of this story aurora with her veil drawn over her pale face attracted very little of their attention they talked of farming stock and horse-racing and looked out of the window every now and then to shrug their shoulders at somebody else's agriculture i believe they were acquainted with the capabilities of every acre of land between doncaster and harrow and knew how it might have been made worth ten shilling an acre more than it was too sir as they perpetually informed each other how wearisome their talk must have seemed to the poor lonely creature who was running away from the man she loved from the man who loved her and would love to the end of time i didn't mean what i wrote she thought my poor boy would never love me less his great heart is made up of unselfish love and generous devotion but he would be sorry for me he would be so sorry he could never be proud of me again he could never boast of me any more he would always be resenting some insult or imagining some slight it would be too painful for him he would see his wife pointed at as the woman who had married her groom he would be embroiled in a hundred quarrels a hundred miseries i will make the only return that i can ever make to him for his goodness to me i will give him up and go away and hide myself from him for ever she tried to imagine what john's life would be without her she tried to think of him in some future time when he should have worn out his grief and reconciled himself to her loss but she she could not she could not she could not endure any image of him in which he was separated from his love for her how should i ever think of him without thinking of his love for me she thought he loved me from the first moment in which he saw me i have never known him except as a lover generous pure and true and in this mind aurora watched the smaller stations which looked like mere streaks of whitened woodwork as the express tore past them though every one of them was a milestone upon the long road which was separating her from the man she loved ah oh, careless wives who think it a small thing perhaps that your husbands are honest and generous constant and true and who are apt to grumble because your next-door neighbours have started a carriage while you are fain to be content with eighteen penny airings in vehicles procured at the nearest cab-stand stop and think of this wretched girl who in this hour of desolation recalled a thousand little wrongs she had done to her husband and would have laid herself under his feet to be walked over by him could she have thus atoned for her petty tyrannies her petty caprices think of her in her loneliness
loneliness with her heart yearning to go back to the man she loved and with her love arrayed against herself and pleading for him she changed her mind a hundred times during that four hours journey sometimes thinking that she would go back by the next train and then again remembering that her first impulse had been perhaps after all only too correct and that john militia's heart had turned against her in the cruel humiliation of that morning's discovery have you ever tried to imagine the anger of a person whom you have never seen angry have you ever called up the image of a face that has never looked on you except in love and gentleness and invested that familiar countenance with the blank sternness of estrangement aurora did this she acted over and over again in her weary brain the scene that might have taken place between her husband and herself she remembered that scene in the hackneyed stage play which everybody affects to ridicule and secretly weeps at she remembered mrs haller and the stranger the children the countess the cottage the jewels the parchments and all the old familiar properties of that well-known fifth act in the simple social tragedy and she pictured to herself john mellish retiring in some distant country with his rheumatic trainer langley and becoming a misanthropical hermit after the manner of the injured german what was her life to be henceforth she shut her eyes upon that blank future i will go back to my father she thought i will go back to him again as i went before but this time there shall be no falsehoods no equivocations and this time nothing shall tempt me to leave him again amid all her perplexities she clung to the thought that lucy and talbot would help her she would appeal to the passionless talbot bulstrode in behalf of her poor heart-broken john talbot will tell me what is right and honourable to be done she thought i will hold by what he says he shall be the arbiter of my future i do not believe that aurora had ever entertained any very passionate devotion for the handsome cornishman but it is very certain that she had always respected him it may be that any love she had felt for him had grown out of that very respect and that her reverence for his character was made all the greater by the contrast between him and the base-born schemer for whom her youth had been sacrificed she had submitted to the decree which had separated her from her affianced lover for she had believed in its justice and she was ready now to submit to any decision pronounced by the man in whose sense of honour she had unbounded confidence she thought of all these things again and again and again while the farmers talked of sheep and turnips of thorley's food swedes and beans and corn and clover and of mysterious diseases which they discussed gravely under such terms as red gum finger and toe etc they alternated this talk with a dash of turf scandal and even in the all-absorbing perplexities of her domestic sorrows mrs mellish could have turned fiercely upon these innocent farmers when they pooh-poohed john's stable and made light of the reputation of her namesake the bay filly and declared that no horse that came out of the squire's stable was ever anything better than a plater or a screw the journey came to an end only too quickly it seemed to aurora too quickly for every mile widened the gulf she had set between herself and the home she loved every moment only brought the realization of her loss more fully home to her mind 
i will abide by talbot bulstrode's advice she kept saying to herself indeed this thought was the only reed to which she clung in her trouble she was not a strong-minded woman she had the generous impulsive nature which naturally turns to others for help and comfort secretiveness had no part in her organization and the one concealment of her life had been a perpetual pain and grief to her it was past eight o'clock when she found herself alone amid the bustle and confusion of the king's cross terminus she sent a porter for a cab and ordered the man to drive to half moon street it was only a few days since she had met lucy and talbot at felden woods and she knew that mr bulstrode and his wife were detained in town waiting for the prorogation of the house it was saturday evening and therefore a holiday for the young advocate of the cornish miners and their rights but talbot spent his leisure among blue books and parliamentary minutes and poor lucy who might have been shining a pale star at some crowded conversazione was compelled to forego the pleasure of struggling upon the staircase of one of those wise individuals who insist upon inviting their acquaintances to pack themselves into the smallest given space consistent with the preservation of life and trample upon each other's lace flounces and varnished boots with smiling equanimity perhaps in the universal fitness of things even these fashionable evenings have a certain solemn purpose deeply hidden under considerable surface frivolity it may be that they serve as moral gymnasia in which the thews and sinews of social amenity are racked and tortured with a view to their increased power of endurance it is good for a man to have his favourite corn trodden upon and yet be compelled to smile under the torture and a woman may learn her first great lesson in fortitude from the destruction of fifty guineas worth of mechelin and the necessity of assuring the destroyer that she is rather gratified than otherwise by the sacrifice noblesse oblige it is good to suffer and be strong cold coffee and tepid ice-cream may not be the most strengthening or delightful of food but there may be a moral diet provided at these social gatherings which is not without its usefulness lucy willingly abandoned her own delights for she had that ladylike appreciation of society which had been a part of her education her placid nature knew no abnormal tendencies she liked the amusements that other girls of her position liked she had none of the eccentric predilections which had been so fatal to her cousin she was not like that lovely and illustrious spanish lady who is said to love the cirque better than the opera and to have a more intense appreciation of a series of flying plunges through tissue-paper covered hoops than of the most elaborate fioriture of tenor or soprano she gave up something therefore in resigning the stereotyped gaieties of the london season but heaven knows it was very pleasant to her to make the sacrifice her inclinations were fatted lambs which she offered willingly upon the altar of her idol she was never happier than when sitting by her husband's side making extracts from the blue books to be quoted in some pamphlet that he was writing or if she was ever happier it was only when she sat in the ladies gallery straining her eyes athwart the floriated iron fretwork which screened her from any wandering glances of distress 
distracted members in her vain efforts to see her husband in his place on the government benches and very rarely seeing more than the crown of mr bulstrode's hat she sat by talbot's side upon this evening busy with some petty needlework and listening with patient attention to her husband's perusal of the proof-sheets of his last pamphlet it was a noble specimen of the stately and ponderous style of writing and it abounded in crushing arguments and magnificent climaxes which utterly annihilated somebody lucy didn't exactly make out who and most incontrovertibly established something though mrs bulstrode couldn't quite understand what it was enough for her that he had written that wonderful composition and that it was his rich baritone voice that rolled out the studied johnsonianisms if he had pleased to read greek to her she would have thought it pleasant to listen to indeed there were pet passages of homer which mr bulstrode now and then loved to recite to his wife and which the little hypocrite pretended to admire no cloud had darkened the calm heaven of lucy's married life she loved and was beloved it was a part of her nature to love in a reverential attitude and she had no wish to approach nearer to her idol to sit at her sultan's feet and replenish the rose-water in his shibuk to watch him while he slept and wave the panka above his seraphic head to love and admire and pray for him made up the sum of her heart's desire it was close upon nine o'clock when mr bulstrode was interrupted in the very crowning sentence of his peroration by a double knock at the street door the houses in half moon street are small and talbot flung down his proof-sheet with a gesture expressive of considerable irritation lucy looked up half sympathizingly half apologetically at her lord and master she held herself in a manner responsible for his ease and comfort who can it be dear she murmured at such a time too some annoyance or other i dare say my dear answered talbot but whoever it is i won't see them to-night i suppose lucy i've given you a pretty fair idea of the effect of this upon my honourable friend the member for before mr bulstrode could name the borough of which his honourable friend was the representative a servant announced that mrs mellish was waiting below to see the master of the house aurora exclaimed lucy starting from her seat and dropping the fairy implements of her work in a little shower upon the carpet aurora it can't be surely why talbot she only went back to yorkshire a few days ago mr and mrs mellish are both below i suppose mr bulstrode said to the servant no sir mrs mellish came alone in a cab from the station i believe mrs mellish is in the library sir i asked her to walk upstairs but she requested to see you alone sir if you please i'll come directly answered talbot tell mrs mellish i will be with her immediately the door closed upon the servant and lucy ran toward it eager to hurry to her cousin poor aurora she said there must be something wrong surely uncle archibald has been taken ill perhaps he was not looking well when we left felden i'll go to her talbot i'm sure she'd like to see me first no lucy no answered mr bulstrode laying his hand upon the door and standing between it and his wife i had rather you didn't see your cousin until i have seen her it will be better for me to see her first his face was very grave and his manner almost stern as he said this lucy shrank from him as if he had wounded her she understood him very vaguely it is true but she understood that he had some doubt or suspicion of her cousin and for the first time in his life mr bulstrode saw an angry light kindled in his wife's blue eyes why should you prevent my seeing aurora lucy asked 
she is the best and dearest girl in the world why shouldn't i see her talbot bulstrode stared in blank amazement at his mutinous wife be reasonable my dear lucy he answered very mildly i hope always to be able to respect your cousin as much as i respect you but if mrs mellish leaves her husband in yorkshire and comes to london without his permission for he would never permit her to come alone she must explain to me why she does so before i can suffer my wife to receive her poor lucy's fair head drooped under this reproof she remembered her last conversation with her cousin that conversation in which aurora had spoken of some far-off day of trouble that might bring her to ask for comfort and shelter in half moon street had the day of trouble come already was it wrong of aurora to come alone talbot dear lucy asked meekly was it wrong replied mr bulstrode fiercely would it be wrong for you to go tearing from here to cornwall child he was irritated by the mere imagination of such an outrage and he looked at lucy as if he half suspected her of some such intention but aurora may have had some very particular reason dear pleaded his wife i cannot imagine any reason powerful enough to justify such a proceeding answered talbot but i shall be better able to judge of that when i've heard what mrs mellish has to say stay here lucy till i send for you yes talbot she obeyed as submissively as a child but she lingered near the door after her husband had closed it upon her with a mournful yearning in her heart she wanted to go to her cousin and comfort her if she had need of comfort she dreaded the effect of her husband's cold and passionless manner upon aurora's impressionable nature mr bulstrode went down to the library to receive his kinswoman it would have been strange if he had failed to remember that christmas evening nearly two years before upon which he had gone down to the shadowy room at felden with every hope of his heart crushed to ask for comfort from the woman he loved it would have been strange if in the brief interval that elapsed between his leaving the drawing-room and entering the library his mind had not flown back to that day of desolation if there was any infidelity to lucy in that sharp thrill of pain that pierced his heart as the old memory came back the sin was as short-lived as the agony which it brought with it he was able now to say in all singleness of heart i made a wise choice and i shall never repent of having made it the library was a small apartment at the back of the dining-room it was dimly lighted for aurora had lowered the lamp she did not want mr bulstrode to see her face my dear mrs mellish said talbot gravely i am so surprised at this visit that i scarcely know how to say i am glad to see you i fear something must have happened to cause your travelling alone john is ill perhaps or he might have said much more if aurora had not interrupted him by casting herself upon her knees before him and looking up at him with a pale agonized face that seemed almost ghastly in the dim lamplight it was impossible to describe the look of horror that came upon talbot bulstrode's face as she did this it was the felden scene over again he came to her in the hope that she would justify herself and tacitly acknowledged her humiliation she was a guilty woman then a guilty creature whom it would be his painful duty to cast out of that pure household she was a poor lost polluted wretch who must not be admitted into the holy atmosphere of a christian gentleman's home mrs mellish mrs mellish he cried what is the meaning of this why do you give me this horrible pain again why do you insist upon humiliating yourself and me by such a scene as this oh talbot talbot 
answered aurora i come to you because you are good and honourable i am a desolate wretched woman and i want your help i want your advice i will abide by it i will talbot bulstrode so help me heaven her voice was broken by her sobs in her passionate grief and confusion she forgot that it was just possible such an appeal as this might be rather bewildering in its effect upon talbot but perhaps even amid his bewilderment the young cornishman saw or fancied he saw something in aurora's manner which had no fellowship with guilt or with such guilt as he had at first dreaded i imagine that it must have been so for his voice was softer and his manner kinder when he next addressed her aurora he said for pity's sake be calm why have you left malish what is the business in which i can help or advise you be calm my dear girl and i will try and understand you god knows how much i wish to be a friend to you for i stand in a brother's place you know my dear and demand a brother's right to question your actions i am sorry you came up to town alone because such a step was calculated to compromise you but if you will be calm and tell me why you came i may be able to understand your motives come aurora try and be calm she was still on her knees sobbing hysterically talbot would have summoned his wife to her assistance but he could not bear to see the two women associated until he had discovered the cause of aurora's agitation he poured some water into a glass and gave it her he placed her in an easy chair near the open window and then walked up and down the room until she had recovered herself talbot bulstrode she said quietly after a long pause i want you to help me in the crisis of my life i must be candid with you therefore and tell you that which i would have died rather than tell you two years ago you remember the night upon which you left felden remember it yes yes the secret which separated us then talbot was the one secret of my life the secret of my disobedience the secret of my father's sorrow you asked me to give you an account of that one year which was missing out of the history of my life i could not do so talbot i would not my pride revolted against the horrible humiliation if you had discovered the secret yourself and had accused me of the disgraceful truth i would have attempted no denial but with my own lips to utter the hateful story no no i could have borne anything better than that but now that my secret is common property in the keeping of police officers and stable boys i can afford to tell you all when i left the school in the rue saint dominique i ran away to marry my father's groom aurora talbot bulstrode dropped into the chair nearest him and sat blankly staring at his wife's cousin was this the secret humiliation which had prostrated her at his feet in the chamber at felden woods oh talbot how could i have told you this how can i tell you now why i did this mad and wicked thing blighting the happiness of my youth by my own act and bringing shame and grief upon my father i had no romantic overwhelming love for this man i cannot plead the excuses which some women urge for their madness i had only a schoolgirl's sentimental fancy for his dashing manner only a schoolgirl's frivolous admiration of his handsome face i married him because he had dark blue eyes and long eyelashes and white teeth and brown hair he had insinuated himself into a kind of intimacy with me by bringing me all the empty gossip of the racecourse by extra attention to my favourite horses by rearing a little 
litter of puppies for me all these things brought about associations between us he was always my companion in my rides and he contrived before long to tell me his story bah why should i weary you with it cried aurora scornfully he was a prince in disguise of course he was a gentleman's son his father had kept his hunters he was at war with fortune he had been ill-used and trampled down in the battle of life his talk was something to this effect and i believed him why should i disbelieve him i had lived all my life in an atmosphere of truth my governess and i talked perpetually of the groom's romantic story she was a silly woman and encouraged my folly out of mere stupidity i believe and with no suspicion of the mischief she was doing we criticized the groom's handsome face his white hands his aristocratic manners i mistook insolence for aristocracy heaven help me and as we saw scarcely any society at that time i compared my father's groom with the few guests who came to felden and the town-bred impostor profited why should i stay to account to you for my folly talbot bulstrode i could never succeed in doing so though i talked for a week i cannot account to myself for my madness i can only look back to that horrible time and wonder why i was mad my poor aurora my poor aurora he spoke in the pitying tone with which he might have comforted her had she been a child he was thinking of her in her childish ignorance exposed to the insidious advances of an unscrupulous schemer and his heart bled for the motherless girl my father found some letters written by this man and discovered that his daughter had affianced herself to his groom he made this discovery while i was out riding with james conyers the groom's name was conyers and when i came home there was a fearful scene between us i was mad enough and wicked enough to defend my conduct and to reproach my father with the illiberality of his sentiments i went even farther i reminded him that the house of floyd and floyd had had a very humble origin he took me to paris upon the following day i thought myself cruelly treated i revolted against the ceremonial monotony of the pension i hated the studies which were ten times more difficult than anything i had ever experienced with my governess i suffered terribly from the conventual seclusion for i had been used to the perfect freedom among the country roads round felden and amid all this the groom pursued me with letters and messages for he had followed me to paris and spent his money recklessly in bribing the the servants and hangers-on of the school he was playing for a high stake and he played so desperately that he won i ran away from school and married him at dover within eight or nine hours of my escape from the rue saint dominique she buried her face in her hands and was silent for some time heaven have pity upon my wretched ignorance she said at last the illusion under which i had married this man ended in about a week at the end of that time discovered that i was the victim of a mercenary wretch who meant to use me to the uttermost as a means of wringing money from my father for some time i submitted and my father paid and paid dearly for his daughter's folly but he refused to receive the man i had married or to see me until i separated 
separated myself from that man he offered the groom an income on the condition of his going to australia and resigning all association with me for ever but the man had a higher game to play he wanted to bring about a reconciliation with my father and he thought that in due time that tender father's resolution would have yielded to the force of his love it was little better than a year after our marriage that i made a discovery that transformed me in one moment from a girl into a woman a revengeful woman perhaps mr bulstrode i discovered that i had been wronged deceived and outraged by a wretch who laughed at my ignorant confidence in him i had learned to hate the man long before this occurred i had learned to despise his shallow trickeries his insolent pretensions but i do not think i felt his deeper infamy the less keenly for that we were travelling in the south of france my husband playing the great gentleman upon my father's money when this discovery was made by me or not by me for it was forced upon me by a woman who knew my story and pitied me within half an hour of obtaining this knowledge i acted upon it i wrote to james conyers telling him i had discovered that which gave me the right to call upon the law to release me from him and if i refrained from doing so it was for my father's sake and not for his i told him that so long as he left me unmolested and kept my secret i would remit him money from time to time i told him that i left him to the associations he had chosen for himself and that my only prayer was that god in his mercy might grant me complete forgetfulness of him i left this letter for him with the concierge and quitted the hotel in such a manner to prevent his obtaining any trace of the way i had gone i stopped in paris for a few days waiting for a reply to a letter i had written to my father telling him that james conyers was dead perhaps that was the worst sin of my life talbot i deceived my father but i believed that i was doing a wise and merciful thing in setting his mind at rest he would never have been happy so long as he had believed the man lived you understand all now talbot she said mournfully you remember the morning at brighton yes yes and the newspaper with the marked paragraph the report of the jockey's death that report was false talbot bulstrode cried aurora james conyers was not killed talbot's face grew suddenly pale he began to understand something of the nature of that trouble which had brought aurora to him what he was still living then he said anxiously yes until the night before last but where where has he been all this time during the last ten days at malish park she told him the terrible story of the murder the trainer's death had not yet been reported in the london papers she told him the dreadful story and then looking up at him with an earnest imploring face as she might have done had he been indeed her brother she entreated him to help and counsel her in this terrible hour of need teach me how to do what is best for my dear love she said don't think of me or my happiness talbot think only of him i will make any sacrifice i will submit to anything i want to atone to my poor dear for all the misery i have brought upon him talbot bulstrode did not make any reply to this earnest appeal the administrative powers of his mind were at work he was busy summing up facts and setting them before him in order to grapple with them fairly and he had no attention to waste upon sentiment or emotion he was walking up and down the room with his eyebrows knitted sternly over his cold gray eyes and his 
his head bent how many people know this secret aurora he asked presently i can't tell you that but i fear it must be very generally known answered mrs mellish with a shuddering recollection of the softy's insolence i heard of the discovery that had been made from a hanger-on of the stables a man who hates me a man whom i had a misunderstanding with have you any idea who it was that shot this conyers no not the least idea you do not even guess at one no talbot took a few more turns up and down the small apartment in evident trouble and perplexity of mind he left the room presently and called at the foot of the staircase lucy my dear come down to your cousin i'm afraid mrs bulstrode must have been lurking somewhere about the outside of the drawing-room door for she flew down the stairs at the sound of the strong voice and was by her husband's side two or three seconds after he had spoken oh talbot she said how long you have been i thought you would never send for me what has been the matter with my poor darling go in to her and comfort her my dear mr bulstrode answered gravely she has had enough trouble heaven knows poor girl don't ask her any questions lucy but make her as comfortable as you can and give her the best room you can find for her she will stay with us as long as she remains in town dear dear talbot murmured the young cornishman's grateful worshipper how kind you are kind cried mr bulstrode she has need of friends lucy and god knows i will act the brother's part toward her faithfully and bravely yes bravely he added raising his head with an almost defiant gesture as he slowly ascended the stairs what was the dark cloud which he saw brooding so fatally over the far horizon he dared not think of what it was he dared not even acknowledge its presence but there was a sense of trouble and horror in his breast that told him the shadow was there lucy bulstrode ran into the library and flung herself upon her cousin's breast and wept with her she did not ask the nature of the sorrow which had brought aurora an unexpected and uninvited guest to that modest little dwelling-house she only knew that her cousin was in trouble and that it was her happy privilege to offer her shelter and consolation she would have fought a sturdy battle in defence of this privilege but she adored her husband for the generosity which had granted it to her without a struggle for the first time in her life poor gentle lucy took a new position with her cousin it was her turn to protect aurora it was her turn to display a pretty motherly tenderness for the desolate creature whose aching head rested on her bosom the west end clocks were striking three in the dead middle of the night when mrs mellish fell into a feverish slumber even in her sleep repeating again and again my poor john my poor dear love what will become of him my own faithful darling End of chapter thirty